Good morning and welcome. Um, good to see you here and good to have those of you joining us online. Join us. So I'd like to ask a question. Can we all just agree that all religions are essentially the same? Can we just agree that they're based on a common set of ideas and ideals, that there's some higher power encouraging us to be nicer, tell the truth more often, be kind to other people? Isn't, isn't it enough that we would just be spiritually alive, however you want to define spiritually alive. I mean, there's so many religions out there. How could we ever argue that one is true and the others are wrong? Like, who, who would do that? I mean, can't we, can't we just agree that uh, Gandhi is right when he said that different religions are just different roads up the same mountain that we all meet at the top. Or that uh, John uh, Godfrey Sachs, the, the, the guy that wrote the story about the six blind men touching an elephant, and they each touched a different part of the elephant, and so they, they all described their very incomplete uh, observations about what they were touching, and they thought they were touching something different, but it's all the same. Can't we, can't we do that? Can't we agree that although we might use different names, for God, we're all basically praying to the same God. Can't we just agree that all roads lead ahead? So uh, we come today to a particularly uh, disruptive, uh, unsettling claim by Jesus Christ. Uh, it's made in John chapter 14. So in John chapter 12, Jesus parades into Jerusalem. It's the triumphal entry. It's the time of the Passover. John chapter 13, Jesus and the disciples meet in the upper room. He washes their feet. They have the last supper together. He announces that Peter's going to betray him three times. And then in John chapter 14, we have this exchange. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the, you know, the underlined statement, the marquee line here is the last part. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is one of the, the seven I am claims that Jesus makes. In the Gospel of John, uh, the fourth of the four Gospels, these sort of biographies, they're not really biographies, they don't tell us a lot of things a biography would, they focus on, really on Christ's death. So the Gospel of John spends half its time on the last week of Jesus' life. So it's not a, you know, it's not a complete overview, it's really drilling down on, on who Christ is, his birth, a few things in the middle, a bit of his teaching, and then it focuses on his death. But in the Gospel of John, in the first part of it, Jesus makes a series of claims, bold, audacious, crazy claims. 
And he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the, the good shepherd, I am the resurrection. And then here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So just imagine for a minute if one of your friends said any of these things. Like you get together with your neighbor and they go, by the way, I'm, I'm the bread of the world. What? Uh, I am the way. I am the light. Right? I am the resurrected. You're like, what are you talking about? I mean, that's just such, such crazy language. But Jesus, although he lives simply, he's all about others. He's, he's, he's going to the end of the line. He's about serving, right? He's not proud. He's obviously very humble. But when Jesus talks about himself, he makes this series of completely crazy statements in which he is saying, I am God, I am king, I am Messiah, I am Lord, I am creator, I am judge, I am in charge. And if you want to follow me, you do so on my terms. It's, it's all very, again, unsettling. Especially today. I mean, this claim to be the one way, that's just in, very politically incorrect. So what do we do with it? Well, I want to look at John 14.6. I want to look right at this passage. Before we do that, let me just note two things about the whole passage. One is the disciples would have heard Jesus' claim against the context of the exodus. So they've gathered in the supper room for the Passover meal, which is all about remembering the, the uh, Jews' uh, release from Egyptian slavery. That's Moses and the ten plagues, and then they, they, Pharaoh finally lets them go, and they, they're part of the way out, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he's chasing them, and they get trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. And, uh, and it looks like they're going to die and everybody's panicking. And, and then God makes a way, right? He opens, he parts the Red Sea. And it's a huge miracle. It gets referred to many times throughout the Old Testament. It's a, it's a massive display of God's power. And there's this path out. There is this rescue. It, it is the way out. And so, so when Jesus, on the night of the Passover says, I am the way, I mean, it's sort of against this backdrop. They're thinking about the way <laughs> that they had out. And so there's, he is the rescue. He is the path forward. The second thing to recognize is that um, he claims to be truth. And this, is a, this remains this incredibly uh, important and nuanced kind of statement. So, we're living right now in a moment of epistemological confusion, by which I mean uh, we not only don't agree on what's true, we don't agree on how we're going to agree on what's true. And we so don't agree even on a way to agree that some people no longer think there is truth. Nothing, nothing objective, nothing Nothing uh, universal. There is no overarching meta-narrative that we can say, this is what is ultimately real. People today often refer to, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, you've got your lived experiences, I have mine. Whatever's true for you is true for you, that's fine. But there is no 
truth. So this, this, we're, we're in this transition. It, it's hard to know where it's headed, but there have been transitions in the past. So you go back to the Middle Ages, and there was um, people then sort of established truth to the, to the big questions. Like the, the, the biggest questions, who am I, where did I come from, what's going to happen to me when I die, you know, uh, all of that. They established their answers based on tradition, what had been handed down to them, what had been told to them, what the church was teaching. There was just this tradition. And then you get to the Enlightenment, and there is a pivot. So the Enlightenment, 17th, 18th century Europe, uh, this intellectual revolution, scientific revolution, now... Truth is what we can verify. Truth is based on data. Truth is based on experimentations and creating falsification opportunities and then running tests over and over and over and controlling variables. And then we've got truth. We've got what's fact. Now, throughout that whole time, uh, there were people that were saying, no, truth, the answers to the really big questions have been revealed to us in the Bible, God's Word. So the highest, most complete revelation of God the Father is God the Son. The, the Word of God incarnate. We also have the Word of God written. And it's, this, this book is, is divine. It's, it's inspired. It's not even inspired. It's expired. It's not that it's motivated. It's that it's the breath of God. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so there have always been Christians who have said, yes, there's value in tradition and there's value in reason, but we also have this unique gift that's been given to us that answers these questions. Now, in starting in the 60s, I mean, it depends upon who you're going to pay attention to, what, what scholar you're going to track, but starting in the 60s or maybe even earlier, there's been this growing movement towards, I define truth based on my feelings, based on my experience, based on what my gut tells me. So we've got, these, we've got all these competing sources of authority, and it's all very confusing because people are appealing to different things and not agreeing on a whole lot. So in the midst of all that confusion, we have Jesus saying, I am truth. Right? There, there's this claim that it's universal. There's this claim somehow that it's personal, uh, that it's tied to Scripture. So it's just an interesting data point. It's not where I'm going to focus today, but it's worth noting. Jesus says, I am the way. <laughs> he also says, I am truth. And then he says, I am the life. So... <clears throat> I want to make five observations about this, uh, this exclusive, unsettling, disruptive, unthinkable claim that Jesus makes. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The first point is he makes it. So he really, he, he says this. And uh, there's a lot of people out there uh, religious leaders, moral reformers, uh, mentors that say, we have to, we need to love each other. We need to be better. We need to be kinder. We need to be nicer. God bless them. Absolutely. I agree with all of that. But that's not really Jesus' message. 
he says that, but what he really talks about, what he really drives home is, I am the way forward. I am the solution. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. I am the Logos. I am eternal. I am the judge. I am. Again, it's shocking, but this is what Jesus says over and over and over. He doesn't make small claims. He doesn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. He doesn't say, I am a truth. He says, I am the truth. He doesn't say, you can believe part of what I say. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to understand, I'm God, and you're not, and this is the way forward. It's, again, if you think this passage is controversial, it's more so. Like, if you, if you, if you understand how, how disruptive it is, then you're, you're starting to understand. I can't explain away this controversy. I want to say he says it. And it's not just Jesus, by the way. The whole Old Testament is making the argument that there is one God. Right? The first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That doesn't mean, by the way, that God had to be first among this pantheon of gods. What he's saying is... No other gods in my face. Because there are, as he makes clear in so many other passages about idols, there are no other gods. There are idols. He goes, you've got idols. You make them. You carve them out of wood or you mold them out of, uh, out of gold and bronze. And, and they, you create them and then you worship them. No, they're, they're deaf and mute. And th there's nothing to them. So he's, he says throughout the Old Testament, we get one God. And, and the Jews, by the way, the Jews were often referred to by their contemporaries as being atheists. Because everybody else had lots of gods. So the Romans had gods, the Greeks had gods, the you know, Malachites had gods, the Philistines had gods. Everybody had gods. And everybody else just said, you know, just add all these gods together. You got your gods, I got my gods. You know, there's gods over there. There's gods up there. There's lots of gods. And the Jews said, no, there's actually one God. And this made them unpopular, as you might imagine. So um, uh, I just want to say that uh, we are free to say that the Bible is wrong. You are absolutely within your rights to say Jesus is wrong when he claims to be the only way. But just understand, that is the claim that we find in this book. That is what Jesus says. I am the way. Point number two. This claim is unpopular. Always has been. It was unpopular back when the Jews were being called atheists, and it's unpopular today. And yet... That's what happened. So when the Christians came along, they for a while got to ride sort of on the, on the good graces of the Jews. So at the time of the New Testament, Caesar is in charge. He's the emperor of all of the Roman Empire. And starting with Julius Caesar, who had sort of dissolved the Roman Republic, they had a Senate, and then he appoints himself to be, first to be uh, dictator, and then later he'll become the monarch, and he'll also declare that he's God. So you were supposed to say Caesar is 
Lord. And so everybody was supposed to say that. If you didn't say that, you'd be killed. But the Jews had a pass because everybody understood the Jews were sort of weird that way. They said there's only one God. So the Jews didn't have to say that Caesar is Lord. So the Christians for a while get, get by on this same pass because the Romans think that the, Jew, that the Christians are Jews. Most of them, by the way, at this point, are Jews. <laughs> they are just Jews that believe in the Messiah, Jesus. And so uh, the Romans are like, well, you got Sadducees and you got Pharisees and you got Zealots and you got Essenes and you got Christians. These are just all the different little categories of Jews. So the Christians don't have to say Jesus or Caesar is Lord. Well, then you get partway through the book of Acts and the Jews start to push back on the Christians and they are, they are saying no to the Romans. They're not with us. And so especially when you get outside of the book of Acts, you're going to see that there's going to be 300 years, 300 years where being a Christian is illegal. It could cost you your life. And, and many Christians will lose their life because they won't say Caesar is Lord. Now, there's actually one of the first controversies in the church arises because there are people that would say, there are Christians that would say Caesar is Lord and then they'd want back into the church. And you'd go, yeah, no. Even bigger controversy, there were pastors who, when a Roman guard says, say Caesar is Lord or you're going to be put to death, were denying Christ and saying Caesar is Lord and then wanted back in. And so this causes a real, the church is like, what are we going to do with these people who want back in? They've denied Christ. Now, they will decide uh, that grace covers all. There is forgiveness of all our sins. But you, you gotta, you, if, if that's where you went, then you've got some, you know, remedial work to do. You're certainly not going to be a leader in the church. And you've got you've to be, there's got to be a more of a catechism that you're going to go through and understand what's going on. Because we're not to deny Christ. But there was, a, there was a, a long time when the Christians were always in trouble because this claim about Jesus has always been unpopular. It was unpopular early on. It is unpopular now. Point number three. All religions make exclusive claims. All religions make exclusive claims. Uh, they don't claim to be one path among many or e even simply the best path. They claim to be the only path. Islam does not say that Christianity is a viable option. Buddhists don't think that Hindus have got a workable plan. And by the way, it's not just religions. It's also worldviews where increasingly non-religious worldviews are becoming religious. There are secular creeds that you have to affirm. And so you have... Atheists who are, who are not saying, you know, somewhere in some parts of the galaxy there's a God and you can believe in that God. No, they're saying, no, if you believe in God, you're wrong. Yuval Noah Harari, the Israeli intellectual, has written a number of books. One of the more recent ones is Sapiens. You know, makes the case, an interesting case. He says, look, uh, there's nothing special about humans. 
the only reason you would think that human life has value greater than uh, a chimpanzee or something else, uh, the, the statement that was made by the founder um, of uh, PETA, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Uh, they're all the same. There's no difference in value. And Harari says there's no difference, there's no value in human life. The only reason you would think there's value in human life above anything else is if you're looking at, at the Christian creeds. And those are wrong. They're wrong. So again, it's not that everybody else is saying everybody else is right. And it's just Christians that are saying, no, we're advocating a, a, that we're right. Everybody makes this kind of claim. Now, there are a few that say they say that everybody's right. The Baha'i. So there's a big temple down in Evanston, just down the road here. And sort of the, the, the stated creed of the Baha'i is that, you know, everybody's, everybody's right. Okay, but when you go in and, and talk with them, and I have, and very interesting, delightful, civil, wonderful conversations, but <laughs> they will say, you're wrong, we're right. So your view of Christianity is wrong. Our view of Christianity, that Jesus is just a teacher, is what's right. So there are also some, some Hindus that suggest that God will meet you with whatever path you choose to follow. And then there are people who will say, sort of against their own creeds, that yes, all religions are the same. There are Christians that say, yes, Jesus is just a teacher. I should say, there are people who would claim to be Christians that would say, Jesus is not God, he's just a teacher, and all religions are the same, and the, the principle is love. So there are lots of people out there that are making these claims. But uh, you have to understand they don't hold up to any kind of scrutiny. When, when somebody says, by the way, that all religions are the... Let me back up. When somebody says all of whatever is the same, all you know is they don't know much about whatever. If somebody says, oh, it's all the same, okay, then you know they don't have a very developed, sophisticated understanding of what they're talking about. So somebody could say, I see that the, uh, that the Cubs signed Andy Dalton to be point guard. You say, hmm, well, the Bears signed Andy Dalton to be a quarterback. The Cubs are baseball, Dalton is football, and point guard is basketball. And they go, yeah, it's all the same. Chicago, somebody has a ball, it's all the same. You go, yeah, no. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Andy Dalton could not pitch or be point guard. <laughs> and that a pitcher couldn't be a quarterback or a point guard. And a point guard, these are not interchangeable. When you say it's all the same, you just are saying you don't really know much about what you're talking about. Which um, takes us. To point number four, different, um, the difference between the major points of religions are significant. At a surface level, uh, all religions can look alike because at the ethics level, most religions are suggesting that we should be honest and kind. Not all of them to be clear, but most are suggesting that we just need to be honest and kind. 
And there is certainly overlap. So Confucius says, don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus says, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Okay, those are not the same, but there's overlap. So almost nobody says that there isn't truth in other religions or truth in other worldviews. Of course there is. But, but the point is, at the, at, the, at the primary level, at the deepest level, um, things fall apart. So no um, Buddhist, again, thinks that Hinduism works. No Muslims think that Christianity is true. And that's because when you start to look at what they're saying, it's radically different. So some Buddhists say there is no God. Jews, Muslims, and Christians say there's one God. Some Hindus say there's 300,000 gods. So it's possible that everybody is wrong. But it's not possible that everybody's right. right? And, and <laughs> again, so uh, Hinduism and Buddhism both advocate the idea that we are, we are going to cycle through with reincarnation lots of lives, hopefully getting better each life, working off our bad karma, evolving to a higher state of consciousness, and then in the end we sort of lose ourselves and become part of one cosmic impersonal consciousness. Christianity says you're born once, you die once, after that, you face judgment, and you will always be who you are. Christianity says Jesus is a prophet, he's God, and he rose from the dead. Islam says Jesus is a prophet, he's not God, and he didn't rise from the dead. So again, you can say that, that everybody's wrong, but you can't say that everybody is right. Steve Turner, and I don't know who Steve Turner is, but I've seen this quote numerous times. He says, um, I believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the two I looked at were. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. So, look, I understand. I understand the desire to say everybody is right. <laughs> I mean, it would be so easy. Everybody's right. It would, it would mean there's no conflict, no religious conflict. It would be wonderful to be able to say all roads lead to the top of the mountain. But um, that's not what Jesus says, and that's not even really what makes sense. So Christianity is different, this is my fifth point, Christianity is more different than the other religions that all the other religions are from themselves. So, you've heard it said, perhaps, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And, okay, depends entirely on how you're going to define uh, religion. But here is, here is the big difference. So, all the other major religions all basically say, you're here, you want to get here, you do this somehow. 
you live a better life, you follow a certain creed, you go on certain pilgrimages, you adopt certain practices, whatever. You're going to raise yourself up. And then by some definitions, that's religion. You're here, you got to go up here. Christianity says, you're here and you cannot raise yourself. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. The only thing that can happen is that God can come down to rescue us. So it's, a, it's a sort of fundamentally different in that sense. And it also means that Jesus is, is the radically different religious leader. So there are other religious leaders. There are other moral reformers. Right? But, but none of them claim to be God and man at the same time. None of them claim to have been the, the creator. None of them claim to be eternal. None of them claim uh, that, that they are going to, to judge everyone. So Jesus makes these radically different claims that he is the God-man who comes down to die in our place. So, let me bring this to a close by making two final observations here. It's important that you understand that sincerity is not a test for truth. Today, many people believe that if somebody sincerely believes something, that it's right. And what we have to understand is, I can sincerely believe that 1 plus 1 equals 18. My sincerity does not change the fact that I'm wrong. Now, every person, every person has value. Every person has value. Not every idea does. Some ideas are wrong. <laughs> and this is not popular, but but it's only really in... in well, until recently, it's only really been in, in the religious sphere that people have been willing to sort of put common sense completely on hold and to say, if you believe it sincerely, then it's true. Like, where does that work? Would you, would you trust a banker that says, I'm, I'm sincerely, I sincerely believe that 1 plus 1 equals 18? Or a surgeon that says, I really think I can fix your knee by operating on your tonsils. And by the way, you don't need anesthesia. I believe that. You go, no, we, what, no this is crazy. Well, I, but I believe it. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'm backing out of the room, right? You know, you're not going to operate on me. So, so we have to understand that sincerity is not a test for truth. And that someone can be sincerely wrong. And, and not making that point in certain settings and in loving ways is not helpful. If... If you're leaving here today, and as you're leaving, uh, as you're walking out of the building, this car comes screeching up alongside you, and you're sort of taken back, and then you look in and you see there's, a, there's a, a relatively young guy in an absolute state of panic, and next to him is a woman who's in labor. And he says, which way to the hospital? Which way to the hospital? Okay, it's, it's not helpful for you to say, all roads go in the same direction, just drive. No, all roads don't go in the same direction. The way to the hospital, it's right over there. I will point you in the direction that you need to go. So this is unsettling, but, but we have to sort of face reality. And that brings me to my final point. And that is you can choose to be frustrated and upset, uh, mad perhaps, that... Uh, not every path works. 
I, I, at one level, I understand that. It would be nice if everything worked. But the other option you've got is to be amazed that any path works. Right? You can say, well, I wish I lived in a world where all roads led to heaven. Okay. But why not be amazed that God so loved you that he sent his son? Right? To do a radically different thing. Not to be a teacher, but, but to be a savior. And to rescue even you. <laughs> even me. So, so we can be frustrated that this isn't exactly politically correct, okay? Or we can say, wow, there's a way to get a clean start. There's a way to have forgiveness of sins. There's a way to gain eternal life. There's a way to be reconciled to God for even me. And it comes through God's son who he sent to die in my place. Amazing. And by the way, while it is an exclusive claim, it's an, it's an inclusive offer. It is open to anyone who places their faith in Christ. Right? Whatever you've done, whoever you are, it is an open invitation that comes from Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your son, your provision. We thank you for this plan. Um, and we pray for clarity and wisdom in this world of tension and confusion and all kinds of contesting ideas and ideologies. And um, Father, we want to be, uh, we, we want to be reconciled to you and we want to grow to be more like you and we want to be more gracious and loving and wise and caring for all those around us. Guide us to that end. Lord Jesus, draw people to yourself. Thank you that in you there is life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. In you there is a way out of our messes. In you there is there is absolute truth and clarity. In you there is life and life eternal. We thank you for that. Pray your blessing on us in Christ's name. Amen.